You're listening to Hayes Radio Network, Cannabis Lifestyle Radio. The business of cannabis is brought to you by Cash Tech Currency Products, North America's leading cash management provider for cannabis retailers. Cash recyclers, smart safes, software and services, Cash Tech has everything the cannabis retailer needs to track, manage, and secure the cash earned in the dispensary. Don't take chances with your cash. Call Cash Tech and solve the problem. Visit www.cashtechcurrency.com to learn more. You're listening to Hayes Radio Network, Cannabis Lifestyle Radio. This is the business of cannabis. The business of cannabis is sponsored this week by Chima. North America's leading provider of cash management hardware and software. Shima has the perfect mix of cash recyclers and smart safes for the cannabis dispensary. Track, manage, and secure your cash. Reconcile with your POS. Automate the entire cash process for your bud tenders and managers. Get the best cash management platform there is. Check out Shima's website at chima-america.com. That's Chima spelled C-I-M-A. Wherever you count, it's Chima. You are most cordially welcome to another edition of The Business of Cannabis. I'm Dave Sky. I'm looking forward to bringing you the most relevant, groundbreaking, innovative business stories from the cannabis front lines. The latest in cannabis brands, services, innovations in retail, software, distribution, marketing. To put it bluntly, a hard look at the hard realities of making money in the cannabis industry. Okay, this is an interesting show, I promise. Uh, I'm just being objective here. I think we have a good one for you. Uh, eclectic might be the right uh, word for it. Uh, first, we speak to Jessica Craney of Green Mile High. Uh, Jessica spent many years with AT&T in their retail division, and she brings all those years of experience to the cannabis space. Uh, she uh, is based in Colorado, but uh, consults throughout the U.S., um, and we'll discuss her specialty, which is recruiting in HR. And also how retailers can best optimize their operations. That is especially relevant issue now that retailers across the country are experiencing price pressure for a product and HR challenges stemming from COVID. Uh, sales are harder to come by and you're making less money on every sale. A, a generalization, but a true one nonetheless. So that means operational efficiencies becoming more and more critical, uh, including working with people as part of that. So i.e. Uh, recruiting HR operations. Um, after uh, speaking uh, with Jessica, and I promised an eclectic show, you're going to get one because then we're going to speak with two Michelin star chefs, uh, two Matthews, Matthew Kim and Matthew Robotham. Uh, they've just launched a new edibles company in California called Weed Confectionaries. And their confectionaries are some of the most beautiful chocolates you've ever seen in your life, uh, as you'd expect from two Michelin chefs. Uh, they use the best ingredients and all their expertise to bring what they believe are the best tasting uh, chocolate edibles on the market. So yum, yum on the one hand. But I'm also super interested in getting to understand why these two extremely successful chefs have decided to focus in cannabis and how they went about starting their company. So tune in for that and stay tuned for my always interesting conversation with Matthew Cook as we discuss uh, what Jessica and the two Matthews uh, had to say and try to put it in the broader context of the cannabis business. I'm Dave Skye, and this is The Business of Cannabis.
This is the business of cannabis. The business of cannabis is sponsored this week by Chima, North America's leading provider of cash management hardware and software. Chima has the perfect mix of cash recyclers and smart safes for the cannabis dispensary. Track, manage, and secure your cash. Reconcile with your POS. Automate the entire cash process for your fund tenders and managers. Get the best cash management platform there is. Check out Chima's website at chima-america.com. That's Chima spelled C-I-M-A. Wherever you count, it's Chima. Yes, and welcome to the business of cannabis. Jessica Cranny, founder. How are you? Let me introduce you, though. Let me give you, uh, let me build you up. Because uh, there's lots to, lots to build up. Uh, a very interesting background. Uh, founder and chief connection officer of GRN Mile High. Um, joins us from Denver. But like I alluded to, a lot behind that. She spent some 17 years at AT&T, growing the retail division, uh, until she became a VP and general manager of the Rocky Mountain region, hence uh, the Denver location. And now she handled sales, marketing, promotion, legals, HR. Uh, and then, like so many, felt she needed us uh, more in life. Uh, so she left AT&T and uh, joined LiveWell, uh, a Colorado-based cannabis retailer, sort of vertically integrated uh, retailer, where she uh, brought her expertise to grow their business, improve operations. But then uh, a few years later, um, again, grew restless a little bit and started up her own business, uh, GRN Mahai. Uh, that touches on all aspects of the cannabis retail space, but with a, a growing focus on recruiting. So that gives us a lot to chat about. So let's chat about it with uh, Jessica Cranny. How are you doing? Thanks, David. <laughs> so um, welcome to the show. And, 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 and before we launch into all the stuff you're doing uh, in the cannabis space, just touch, touch them for a moment on, on why you decided to leave AT&T and then join a well, a much smaller company, even if, if LiveWell's not a small company. Uh, what were you looking for and why cannabis? How did that happen? You know, it was frankly a little bit of a happy accident. And um, I like to say that cannabis found me, but I, I couldn't be more delighted. Um, I was at a point in my career with AT&T where I'm, I'm tremendously respectful and, and grateful of the experiences and the, the background in traditional business enterprise that it gave me. Um, and that allowed me to be very marketable to a different industry that was more emergent like cannabis. Sure, transferable so, skills. Sure. Yeah, you know, while cannabis was not on my professional resume for uh, any of it leading up to, you know, my time at LiveWell, it was all over my personal resume. And so when the opportunity presented itself, I had already departed AT&T and was really open to exploring what was going to be next for me. And this opportunity presented itself and it was really one that felt like such a great marriage of my professional skill set and expertise combined with uh, something that I was personally passionate about and interested in. And um, like you said, a way to take some transferable enterprise skills and bring that to an industry that we could help copy and paste those, evolving them and tweaking them to, to cannabis, but using those proven business models to elevate this, this you know, emergent and upcoming industry. I'm going to ask you an easy question, then I'm going to ask you some hard questions. Okay, fire away. The easy question, but so in your sweet spot, what is GRN Mile? What's your, what's, give us the overview of what your consulting company does. 
Sure. We really do three things. And we like to pride ourselves on saying that we help businesses <laughs> grow from the outside in. I'm going to jump in here and say, I, I knew you would be able to answer this question, but we'll, <laughs> this one I knew. So go ahead. Sure. Three things. Yeah. Uh, three things. Yeah. To, you keep it one. simple. Yeah. One. Cultivate connections. We specialize in placing leaders from C-suite executives through mid-level management across pretty much any functional department in cannabis or can-adjacent operators. Um, number two, we cultivate competencies, um, developing really customized training and development models while leveraging some of those proven business methods and data and analytics that I referenced before. We've been hired to help retool a lot of workforces to elevate the business's growth. And the third one is cultivating culture and really emphasizing a people first approach, prioritizing having the right people in the right places, doing the right things to drive that internal and external brand loyalty. And we're seeing a lot of that really start to emerge as merger and acquisition activity mm -hmm. is one of the most, if not the most prominent ways that companies are growing and scaling. And when you see that merger and acquisition, um, Oftentimes, we've been able to add a lot of value in bridging that gap from a cultural perspective and helping those two or three or five companies blend into this new umbrella. Let me ask, why, why do you think they can't grow organically? Because I think it's related to those three areas. Why do they need to buy other companies? In many cases, uh, this is going to be a state specifically here in the United States, I'll speak to that separately. Yeah, yeah. Um, in the United States specifically, a lot of states are bound by a limited license. And so, you know, just using round numbers, if a state said we only have 100 licenses for cannabis dispensaries and all 100 are given out, mm -hmm. um, if you've got five of those and you want five more, you can't go to the state. You, you ultimately have to, but you need to go to other operators and say, how much will it cost for me to acquire your three doors, your one door, your 10 doors. And, and that triggers how that company can grow and scale if another operator is willing to sell their permit to operate. That's not exclusively true. There are states that here in the United States that are not limited license. Uh, right. Oklahoma is an example, but in large part, the vast majority of legal okay. licenses do have limited licenses. So it's regulation driving market behavior. I yes. wouldn't necessarily be there otherwise. Yeah. And, and you can look Interesting. at states that have done limited license versus unlimited and seen right. some benefit and some not for either. You, you could build a case for either way, but the vast right. majority are limited licenses. So you were nice enough to frame everything in a very articulate manner. So let's one, two and three. Let's go through that um, because it's nice and systematic and I can follow it. One the recruiting aspect of your business. Uh, first, you know, what recruiting challenges are, are you finding as you help companies meet their needs? For, by the way, do you, is it executive recruiting you do? Is it more middle management? Is it everything? It, it pretty much starts at mid to senior level management up through executives. Okay. Um, you won't find us too often in, you know, bud tender right. or okay. trim or, or entry level production positions, but, <clears throat> you know, a director of production, um, a project manager for, you know, real estate or compliance, um, human resource directors, CFOs, 
we, we do really play in every functional area of a vertically integrated operator. But tying back to your question about the biggest challenge, um, oftentimes it's just really creating that cultural match. Um, one, I, I field calls all day from people that are clamoring to get in the cannabis industry and feel like they're constantly being told they can't get into the industry without industry experience. But the catch 22 is sure. How do I get industry experience if nobody gives me? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And really what it comes down to, and that's the benefit of whether you're working with someone like myself or any other recruiter, it's going to be a lot more of an open book test on what that company is looking for. And they're not going to necessarily advertise that, Hey, we're, we're pretty good on cannabis talent and we really need somebody with non-cannabis. Like there are times that companies say we will train them up on cannabis. We need a Cracker Jack but it's the, Right. It's the other skills we don't have. Or vice versa. You know, yeah. we are stock full of folks who come from traditional enterprise and we really need some more cannabis experts. Sometimes there's a blend, but really breaking into the industry is one challenge, but just based on where the company is from today's org chart and hierarchy. I'd say the second challenge is that cultural match. Um, I think, and that's the case with any company or role is it's as right. much about who you're doing something with rather than what you're doing, right? You could dig ditches for a living if you love the team that you're doing it with and for. Right. Um, conversely, and, and so I think that one of the things I really try and do is vet my clients from a cultural perspective before and, and as firmly as I vet a candidate. And what I mean by that is, you know, I think culture is one of those very uh, easy to use buzzwords, but when you ask somebody to unpack that and create some tangible examples, what does that look like, sound like, feel like if I'm an employee or a consumer of your brand? Um, sometimes you're met with kind of snoozeworthy answers, right? We do sure. Fridays and you know, <laughs> exactly. I'm not yeah. saying that's not cool. But I don't know that those are things yeah. that work with people on that I call a cultural cadence and a signature move and things that <clears throat> you can build upon to create this brand loyalty. Um, so one is what is that culture from a company perspective and how do we match that with an employee? And I'll tell you, if you're coming in from outside of the industry, I feel very strongly, a strong compulsion to kind of terrify people a little bit. Um, because cannabis, although it is evolving and we've come a super long way, it is still very much um, a lot of manual work. I'll give you an example and glean yeah. from my old experience. But at AT&T, yeah. if a, a regional sales director took over 10, 15 stores, they would walk into those AT&T stores and they're identical. The yep. schedule, the promotions, the merchandising, the store layout, right. the sales system. The software is in place, everything. You name it. Yeah, whatever is there, yeah. And you've got reports that you could slice 16 ways till Sunday from, you know, historical. Sure. Right. Cannabis, you're going to walk into a territory of 10 locations and five might be yours and three were just acquired from one company and the other uh -huh. two were acquired from two separate places. And point of sale is different. The vendor negotiations are different for your, you know, CPG and wholesale, you know, uh, inventory. Like you said, point of sale, the staff, how they operate, the customer experience model, the scheduling models. Um, and so how do you set somebody up for that and say, Hey, this is hmm. all up your sleeves and you're, I, some people don't love this. Right. The same person is not going to enjoy both experiences. Are you going to be willing to build right. that plane mid-flight? 
Yeah, are because you that's your nature or not. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. It's are not right or wrong. Find, yeah. I always ask, are you willing to find a way to yes in a world of no? Right. We didn't have a ton of social or economic or regulatory objections at AT&T. You could sell an iPhone to anybody of any age on any day of the week, as many as they wanted. Not right. the case here, right? And right. so you, you have to think about it very differently um, when and, and never doing anything that would compromise compliance, but always just kind of challenging, like, okay, it can't be a square. Can it be a rectangle? Can I ask you, uh, picking up on what you were talking about, what, uh, what I thought of is, how often, I bet from the challenge is your, the, the businesses don't know who they are. I mean, you're saying, you know, what's your culture? Who are you? Like, what kind of person do you want? Do they even know? And that, that's a great question. And I, I really appreciate you asking that. Thank you. Um, I, I often end up engaging with clients in both consulting and recruiting, but how I arrive with them starts with one and, and usually leads to the other. And mm. tying in with that point is exactly that. I've got a couple of clients right now that are, you know, fairly large operators in a single state. They've done merger and acquisition in their first state to grow to that size. And they're making their way into their second and third states. And they're bringing folks up under this fold. And one of the biggest challenges and where I'm finding a lot of value on the consulting side for our clients is before we even get to recruiting, let's identify who we are as an organization at the highest level. Right. And a lot of that cultivating culture, the third bullet that I touched on, really becomes what we do first. And we start with that executive team. And here's why, David. When you merge and acquire, not only do you acquire a production or a retail or a brand asset or all of them, you acquire people assets. And oftentimes that is the acquisition of egos as well. And um, mm. it's often unintentional, but there is a feeling from the acquired company that somebody's kind of calling your baby ugly. And when, <laughs> and when the two teams get together, often it's about 50% old company and 50% new company. And I, I can sympathize with that strongly. When AT&T and Singular did a million and one back and forth mergers, we would sit in rooms and you're orange and you're blue and you know, kind right. of have an attitude about it. And right. what I'm able to do is come in as a third party neutral and keep something offsite. And it's all of the C-suite, you know, ex executive department leaders. And we come together and we hold what we call a pact meeting. Partners always conquer together. And we walk out of that meeting with that cultural cadence and those signature moves as created and crafted by this executive team as led by a neutral third party. And then they have a toolbox or a playbook to go and extrapolate that throughout their departments. I support or facilitate as much or as little of that below the executive level that they would like. But we are talking to, yes. That's so like the problem is the more you talk, the more questions I have. I'm worried <laughs> we're going to run out of time. So I'm going to, I, 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 I want to do a sequel. In. Yeah, we'll do a, we will do a sequel. We're talking to Jessica uh, Cranny, by the way, of, of GRN Mahat, um, a consulting and recruiting company. In, based in Denver, but work um, from, I, I believe, all over all yes. over the United States. Um, I could talk about culture all day and lots of questions, but I, I want to touch on, on, on the other bulleted points, uh, particularly the other one, uh, like operations and the business side. Uh, what issues, what do you find cannabis retailers doing well in that, I guess, second bulleted point that you put out with? 
operations and how they structure their store and so on. What are they doing well? And then you can guess uh, what I'm going to ask next is what, sure. what are they not doing well? You've seen a lot of really exciting evolution in cannabis retail where the original dispensaries were kind of the old school, I hate this phrase, but the old school pothead stereotype. Right. Right. People in cannabis were growing weed in their grandma's basement and wearing Birkenstocks and what have you. And a dispensary was kind of akin to the grandmother's basement, right? right. It was maybe yeah. not a great area. It wasn't right. very well lit. It wasn't pretty. It was behind. Right. You couldn't see inside. And, and you walk in today and it feels very Apple-esque almost. There's digital signage. There's promotions. There's um, non-medicated you know, merchandise. I mean, you see some brands that have done such an impressive job where their lobby is full of people that might be buying product, but they're maybe buying branded merch. And mm. um, it's as much right. about being a part of the culture as it is about smoking or consuming one of their goods. Um, and so I think there's just been some really cool things that people have done to create unique retail experiences and unique brand loyalty. And I still think that there's so many cool emergent companies that are really just scratching the surface, but there's so many great examples to look at. Like building their brand in a, in a cookies, true way, a real way. Example, you know, yeah, well, cookies yeah. based out in California, you can't walk through an airport in the country. I don't care if it's in the Southeast, if it's in the Midwest, if it's in the West coast, there is somebody in uh, an airport wearing a cookie sweatshirt, wearing a cookies hat and um, they don't work in the industry. They just want, it's almost like Nike. Yeah. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. That's the good thing. Yes. What are they not doing so well? <laughs> the biggest. This is probably the, the most important question I've asked uh, so far. What are they not doing well? The biggest opportunity that I'm able to create value in for operators is the use of data to make business decisions. There have been tremendous leaps and bounds in data aggregation companies that will marry different reports to help create some of those historical data points and KPIs that I touched on earlier um, that we glean from AT&T and, and being true leaders of departments and true revenue drivers. You have to use data to determine you know, what the benchmarks for success are, be able to determine the outliers, who's not achieving at those benchmarks and why, how do we change it? Who's overachieving and why, and how do we replicate that? The use of data is critical and probably the most underutilized um, tool in an operator's toolbox today. Do you think it's because of a lack of what you alluded to before? Um, a lack of uh, experience um, because people from outside of the industry haven't are having trouble breaking in, or is it a lack of uh, money? Like obviously, AT and T has access to whatever they need. Sure, not every company can buy the latest, whether it's a software tool or expertise. Or Jessica Cranny, I can't hire her either necessarily. What, where do you see the reason for that sort of data? I think wow. it's an, a little bit of an amalgamation of everything that you touched on. One, it's, I kind of don't know what I don't know from an operator's perspective. Like what are those right KPIs? And, and I want to underscore this with this in large part is driven at labor headcount management and performance management of your team. I recognize wholeheartedly that 
so many operators have their KPIs for cannabis production and yield and quality down pat. Sure. It's yeah. more about kind of people and performance. Um, but so, sorry, I just yeah, want to- I get you. Like, no, I get you. So it's that, that other side of it. It's what questions do I, what are the KPIs? Right. What, what uh, should the they- The marketing be? and sales side, yeah. Um, and, and then can I afford it? Um, if on the software side and or there is still a certain level of manual labor that's required to synthesize data from a few different sources across cannabis reporting. And that requires manpower. And it's critical, but is it more critical than something else that somebody has on their plate? And I respect that cannabis operators run very lean and try and get sure you know, do as much with as few resources as possible. And so is that something that they have to be able to add to somebody else's plate? In many cases, not. But once I build the models for them, it becomes somewhat plug and play. Well, if you can afford it, I I suggest you give uh, Jessica Cranny a call from uh, GRN Mile High. Um, because there's, uh, I mean, those are criti- the critical areas, people, um, operations, and and then your culture. I mean, yeah. that's if you're not doing those things well, you're not going to do well. Uh, I, and both of, and those are challenging areas. So, um, Jessica, I really appreciate your time and your candor and your insight. Thank um, you, and I, I really appreciate being on here. And I really think you summed it up. And that's kind of what our our battle cry is: if we can help you get the right people in the right places, doing the right things, your vision for your business will be realized. And, and those are the three critical pieces that will help build that. So I encourage you to go to uh, grnmilehigh.com, yep. grn, and you can guess what the grn stands for, milehigh.com, find out all about the company, give Jessica a call, and, and, and she can, it sounds like you're going to help them somehow in, in pretty well every area of their business. So again, thanks very much. That was, that was interesting. I appreciate it. Um, and we will be back more with uh, the business of cannabis. This is the business of cannabis. The business of cannabis is sponsored this week by Chima, North America's leading provider of cash management hardware and software. Chima has the perfect mix of cash recyclers and smart safes for the cannabis dispenser. Track, manage, and secure your cash. Reconcile with your PLS. Automate the entire cash process for your bud tenders and managers. Get the best cash management platform there is. Check out Chima's website at chima-america.com. That's Chima spelled C-I-M-A. Wherever you count, it's Chima. So I first learned about weed confections uh, only a few weeks ago, not too long ago. Um, and they had me at Michelin Star Chef. So that's why I reached out. And we have both of the uh, owners of Weed Confections here with us today, Matthew Kim and Matthew Robotham. Of course, they have to have the same first name. So I'll, I'll let that confusion sort itself out. Um, they used to work together uh, and often spoke about cannabis in their food, but more of joking back in 2011 when they worked together at a restaurant. Um, Matthew R., Matthew Robotham, left the cooking world first and joined uh, Cresco Labs back in 2014. So kind of early days, joins the edibles uh, department, learns a ton, found maybe he didn't love working at a cannabis giant. Um, the other Matthew, Matthew Kim, he stays in the kitchen longer until a COVID kind of forced him to maybe take a break and think about things. And they start start talking in 2020 and suddenly cooking with cannabis is not a joke. 
Um, they're in California. And um, Matt speaks to Matt and Matt replied to Matt. And then at some point, both Matt agreed, <laughs> hey, this would be a great idea. Let's start our, our, our company. Uh, and the goal, they have told me, create the best, highest quality edible products on the market using their finely honed culinary skills. Um, and they've chosen uh, chocolate gummies to start. So let's find out about uh, the Matthews and and why and uh, they did with uh, why they started Wheat Cannabis. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. Yeah, super appreciate the opportunity. No, I'm I'm uh, I'm excited. I'm I'm I want to hear uh, more about this. So so let's dive in. Okay, so you're both obviously very successful at what you did, um, but uh, you decided without getting uh, too deep in the weeds, what led you to starting weed confections and getting into this aspect of the cannabis space? What, what well, you guys just jump in. Don't 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 ask. Don't force me to pick someone. For sure. Uh, this is Matthew Kim. Um, I mean, for us, it was a way to kind of bring the restaurant industry into what we've both loved in our, in our whole lifetime, pretty much, I guess, since high school, I want to say. Yeah, at this point, definitely. Uh, maybe illegally, but then now uh, in the legal market, we wanted to bring our experiences into cannabis edibles, uh, something that we've appreciated and enjoyed, but you know, we really want to bring that like that different quality and expression of the cannabis plant to the modern day consumer. I mean, it's been okay. a long time since closet grows and, you know, backyard butane hash extractions and things like that. And I think it's time for the industry to grow up a little bit. So Start when you getting... mean grow up, do you mean become more professional, like the quality of the product needs to catch up to the idea? I think the quality and just like a return to the the origins a little bit and the craft that cannabis can have. Um, there's been such a massive expansion and, you know, margins are trying to be made all over this industry. And a lot of the artfulness has been lost. Uh, we appreciate the hard work that goes from seed to extraction and want to respect and kind of use that plant in a way that expresses it in a, in a modern day craft chef experience and really kind of dive into the plant and, you know, see its true potential. Take me through that. What does that mean in, in practical terms? Because in your chef life, in your culinary life, I can understand quality of meat. I can understand quality of ingredients and I can understand techniques uh, that maybe I won't have either access to the quality of good or obviously the, the culinary skills. What does that mean in the cannabis space and the edible space to you guys? I mean, it's super translatable. I mean, quality is quality. So you, you know, you start with something good. It is super easy to make something even better at the end. And as long as you kind of know your techniques, respect the ingredients that you're working with, really magical things can happen. So give me an example, like in terms of ingredients uh, on, the, guess, on the, both sides, I guess the cannabis side and then the, I guess the non-cannabis ingredients. I guess when it comes to ingredients and then also making an edible product, it's all about flavors, um, making sure that, you know, on the cannabis side, we're working with uh, hash rosin, uh, solventless, super flavorful, using those terpenes, those flavonoids that are, are naturally occurring in the, the full plant extract to just kind of balance, uh, highlight and incorporate well into the the non-cannabis ingredients, making sure that you know our chocolate notes are pairing with the cannabis notes 
our fruit, fruit flavors are matching up nicely to like the gassy notes of the cannabis and just overall using both sides of the world in a way that you'd kind of similarly pair wine to the meal that you're eating just in a single, uh, you know, cannabis confectional bite. I like how you tell you, I'm getting hungry already for some weird reason. I just <laughs> like the way you talk about, about it. Um, so let's start well, building on that. What, what, then tell me about the, the weed confection product line. So what are we, what are we talking about? Uh, um, where'd you guys start? So we kind of took the approach of, you know, something that's pretty shelf stable because, uh, you know, it just has to be. Yeah, regulations. <laughs> um, so, that little word. <laughs> right. For everything. Uh, so, you know, two of our favorites, I think, and that can be, you know, served very delicately are filled chocolate bonbons and pedophy gummies. So we're launching with two flavors of each. Uh, on the bonbon side, we're launching with salted caramel and hazelnut praline. Mm. And then for the pedophy gummies, we're launching with uh, our childhood favorites, uh, orange dreamsicle and tamarind cola. Okay, so it's intentionally different, obviously. You're intentionally, I mean, tamarind, for God's like who, like, that's not what I expected you to say. I expect you to say strawberry and mango. Right. Um, I mean, definitely intentionally different, but yet still extremely approachable. I mean, like I said, or like Matt mentioned, like childhood favorites. And, uh, you know, right. So they're going to be, as soon as you eat them, you're going to kind of be brought back to that youthful spirit of, you know, like an orange candy or, you know, a cola, cola candy that is just, you know, a nice experience. So what would that experience be? I go in, I, 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 uh, you know, typical edible. I can't say the taste has always, I've even noticed it or if that is in any way a positive thing. Let's leave it at that. What would I experience from your bonbons and your gummies that I would notice? And I would think, I wonder who made this. <laughs> I think I think the first thing, if you did try our gummies, would definitely be the texture. Um, it's definitely a texture that's, in my opinion, like more jammy, a little softer. It's still firm to the touch, but I think once it hits like your mouth, uh, kind of like I guess body temperature, it starts to slowly, like. Melt. almost melt without melting in a way it's kind of a hard description it's very without smooth. like truly experiencing right. fight but, right. um yeah, yeah just decadence in a, in a sense you know uh traditionally on the market today you're you're getting a distillated edible and we like to highlight the cannabis plant and that you're going to see that in the efficacy you're going to feel a little bit of that entourage effect that euphoria that you get from ingesting the this the more uh, compounds than just the thc you mentioned the distillate a couple of times and solventless. Uh, on a technical level, what are you talk? What are we talking about there, and why is that important? What does I mean, it mean you don't use distillate and it's solventless raw? Sure. Yeah. So yeah, distillate is a pretty common extracted cannabinoid product, uh, product on the market. Uh, it's often used with butane hash oil, and then cleaned up through running it through columns. Uh, pretty sciencey, pretty like in industrial technology, um, and you get a very pure, very clean, high cannabinoid uh, THC product. 
it's just not what we want. Uh, we want flavors of the cannabis plant and through the distillation process, you're removing a lot of the characteristics and just isolating that THC, uh, which kind of ruins the fun for us. I mean, we love flavors. We love exploring the, you know, the palate and the whole experience. So that's kind of the route we took with using solventless rosin. Can I ask, you know, cause the taste of cannabis, the flavor of it is kind of, controversial in the sense of it's not necessarily seen as a positive how do you make that a positive for me or not for me for for a lot of people no just for me Uh, (laughs) i'm your market i'll pay a million dollars of chocolate make two uh, sales a year (laughs) i mean we're we're hoping to you know we're working with the um like rosin producers who we can work closely with to, to kind of find the perfect strain that, you know, doesn't come off too gassy. That can be offensive, but not always. I think it just depends on what you pair it with. So, you know, we're finding uh, strains that have, you know, maybe a more lemony note, could have, you know, some floral notes, or even like might smell like blueberry cheesecake. And I think once you pair that into, you know, like a, strawberry elderflower it just becomes like one harmonious like flavor rather positive exactly like rather than having strawberry elderflower and i don't know a garlic kind of yeah flavor it'll have it'll actually kind of melt i see what you mean yeah so you know that's kind of like the way we're approaching everything so not to put words in your mouth but i'm hearing like it's not like I'm going to cover up the taste of the rosin so that you don't get, you don't, you don't exactly. gag. This is actually going to be a pleasant experience, uh, yeah, well, you know, I mean, because I, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I, I think uh, kind of a, a big misnomer with the cannabis pro- flavor profile is that it's always that, you know, classic 1970s earthy brownie yeah, taste. Skunky smell. Yeah. yeah. Um, and if you really dive into it, I mean, it's almost comparable to wine and all the different varietals of grapes that are out there. You know, a Chardonnay takes so much different than a Cab, but yet they're both enjoyable in their own their own uniqueness. Right. And you'll you'll find that that traits translates just equally into into rosins for edibles. And it's just kind of taking the time and the education to make sure that the consumer kind of understands that thought process and that it can be a, an enjoyable edible, you know, like experience, just kind of like that that cab so we are talking to matthew kim and matthew robotham who have started uh weed confections in california uh an edibles uh, a new edibles company uh that is uh intentionally um would you would you put your product would you as sort of part of the luxury cannabis offering or or would you call it something else how how would you it definitely speaks it speaks to luxury but i think that's just because there's not kind of this section of the industry being attached i feel like we're kind of stepping into an era where at the moment we seem super different and kind of out there as a luxury brand but this i think kind of uh process of reverting back to craft grows really bringing in like the heritage you know, hash growers and people who have been in this for a long time, you're going to start seeing this as kind of a standard of bringing it back to, to where it kind of should be as a, a community-based artisanal craft uh, industry. 
But that's yeah, why, I, yeah, go, go ahead. I, 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 like specifically when I say luxury, I think of, you know, everything I'm hearing is like, wow, is it really expensive? Am I paying three, five, 10 times more? Is it a Gucci or is it just, no, we're just using really good quality products in a, and using our skills to produce something that's very approachable for anyone. Yeah, I think, I think, you know, we can be like the Gucci or Louis Vuitton, okay. but we still provide extreme value in the product, which is important to okay. us, right. you know? Yeah. And, you know, like, I, I don't think luxury always means like una, unattainable, but to us, it's like, it's just more special. Like there's okay. a lot more thought right. put into our product and the whole process from start to finish, from like the box that it comes in to when you open the box and probably until your last bite, like it should all feel like the whole experience yeah. to us. We're, yeah, we want people to have an experience, not just a high. Um, off the, uh, before we, you know, we, we, we started uh, talking on this uh, previous time, you, you mentioned you had you've sort of a partnership with a company that we've had on the show, My Green Network, that you're working with, produce the, the products. This, I find it interesting. Tell me a bit of what's that, like how you, you came about actually producing a product you know, from that idea that you had, why, uh, why, you know, what is that partnership with them to describe? I think, I think the great thing uh, working with my green network was literally, I guess the best part for anybody is that they fronted pretty much all the capital to get the licensing, the space, the, you know, the hard legwork of building out a, a cannabis manufacturing, you know, like a building that's most commonly a huge barrier of entry in this space because it you know it takes millions and millions of dollars and coming from the chef world that's not exactly the right. typical salary <laughs> you just you just had a, a million no, you had or, millions right <laughs> yeah uh so it was a very approachable um economical way uh you know they're they're doing a whole different approach trying to make this space more accessible to the you know quote, quote unquote common man or person um and we just kind of thankfully found it and are taking advantage of it so it's to make it economically viable to start uh an edibles business without having to build your own grow operation from scratch is what i'm hearing absolutely yeah, yeah. cool um let me ask you we don't have a ton of time left but let me ask you now that you've been at it you you came from idea to you know, conception to actually in that kitchen making your products. What are the challenges? What are the things that surprised you that you didn't expect when you first had that moment of, yeah, let's do this? Uh, I guess a lot of the hiccups and time frame. Uh, definitely this industry moves fairly slow comparatively to restaurant industry where you are expected to have deadlines 24-7. Right. Um, <laughs> No days off. No days off. But, uh, you know, well, that's, that's normal. <laughs> and then also just kind of like once having a product, the actual barrier to the market, uh, it seems like that's the next biggest challenge is getting to people and getting to the consumer, making sure that we can actually make the sales. Definitely, definitely compliance uh, in every step. You know, there's like a red tape on everything, like just making sure everything's legal. I mean, the way we're trying to do it is obviously legal and everyone is as well, but that has been, you know, a yeah. big hurdle for us. Right. Um, but you don't necessarily 
think of compliance as, yeah, of course we're going to be compliant, but right. to and actually then, be compliant is exactly. obviously intentional. It's yeah, a lot of effort. And, yeah, you know, yeah, there, go ahead. there can definitely be help, more help, uh, maybe on the government side for uh, cannabis, like manufacturers and businesses, but, you know, that just takes time to get there. So, you know, we're all about that movement and of, or this movement of trying to be smaller businesses and make so that footprint. How do you see a weed confections growing? How do you, where do you see it? Is it more products? Is it deeper? The products you have, is it other States? Do you, like, I what's think your kind a, little, of- a little bit of everything, honestly, okay. uh, you know, the eventual goal is to be kind of vertical in a sense where we can kind of have a little bit more control over the flower aspect and the manufacturing that way. So we can kind of curate our own little garden to pick from, I guess, in a way, but then, yeah, also, you know, sky's the limit. Um, States and licensing deals are not off the table. You know, I think what we're doing is pretty important to the industry. And so the more people that we can kind of get to, choosing this kind of edible, I think the better just generally for the entire, entire community. Do you see, uh, you spending, so let's, let's uh, cast your mind, you know, two, three years. Do you see you staying in California for the next little while or, or do you, are you already open to people from other States going, wow, Michelin star chefs have put together this product line. Yeah, sure. I'd like to access that. Is there a yeah, geographic strategy? I think we have a few uh, few irons in the coals as far as uh, spreading our network a little bit. Um, you know, definitely. I think time will tell, and we're definitely looking for an, an organic approach to our growth, but um, we're excited to see what the future brings, that's for sure. Yeah, cool. I, think, I think being able to, you know, open in other states or, you know, even Northern California, like it only builds opportunities for like, you know, uh, cooks or chocolatiers who, you know, want to make it their career to, you know, keep producing, you know, beautiful chocolates and pedophiles. So it's kind of, we like, we want to kind of work with the locals, whether they're, uh, you know, people we hire on or like even local farmers from other states. So yeah, just like, Bring, bring the quality and the community back to the industry is super important for us. So. Well, I have been um, talking to Matthew Kim and Matthew Robotham of Weed Confections. And if you're lucky enough to live in California and you're enjoying the sunshine, then you're lucky enough to, to get to try their products. And I will, uh, the next time I'm out there, uh, I will do so as well. Um, guys, uh, really thanks for, um, for taking the time. I want to mention uh, the website Weed. But it's spelled a little different. That's a weed, O-U-I-D, like the French, we, weed, O-U-I-D, confections, with an S, dot com. Weedconfections.com. Check them out and, uh, and reach out and give it a try because it sounds like it, both delicious and, and, and kind of what a, you'd want in an edible product. That's what you'd want. So I, I congratulate you. It sounds great. <laughs> what can I say? Very um, appreciative. Yeah. yeah, no, I, and you guys should be commended for uh, for taking the leap into the into the business world. <laughs> we hope to see others. Thanks. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So thanks very much, and um, I, we will be back uh, with more of the business of cannabis. This 
is the business of cannabis. The business of cannabis is sponsored this week by Chima, North America's leading provider of cash management hardware and software. Chima has the perfect mix of cash recyclers and smart safes for the cannabis dispensary. Track, manage, and secure your cash. Reconcile with your POS. Automate the entire cash process for your bud tenders and managers. Get the best cash management platform there is. Check out Chima's website at chima-america.com. That's Chima spelled C-I-M-A. Wherever you count, it's Chima. And welcome back to the Business of Cannabis. Is it my favorite time of the show, part of the show? Maybe. Let's find out. When we, we introduce uh, and welcome back, of course, uh, Matthew Cook. It better uh, be the best. It, exactly. <laughs> um, the best five minutes of my life. Best. So uh, uh, to, to sort of reflect on what we've heard, um, Jessica Cranny from Green Mile High mm-hmm. and the, I guess, the three Matthews now yeah. uh, from Weed Confections. So um, what were your thoughts about uh, Jessica's sort of pitch? Which I thought was a little different. This idea yeah. of a, a pretty sophisticated, established kind of approach to a very new business. Yeah, it's um, you know basically former AT and T um, person starting consulting company. Uh, very much what I would expect, which is looking to um, you know help an emerging company or industry and companies. Um, put process in place, um, which is what big companies are great at, is right. at meetings and, and putting process in place. Right. <laughs> and I know you love a meeting. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and, you know, what's very important in scaling anything, any kind of business is having those processes in place. Um, so I like the, you know, the approach that she took, you know, kind of the cultivate connections, competencies, culture, uh, the idea of the, the packed meeting, uh, partners always conquered together. Um, that's very fortune 500 company. Right. Speak. Um, but I think it's very positive for the industry because. So you don't think it's too early. It's maybe, I, I mean, it's too early to put process right. in place. Okay. Um, now we'll, some of the um, the outcomes, you know, I, I'm big believer in data, big believer in business processes, a hundred percent. But you also really have to understand your business first and where you're going. And the challenge with any industry that's growing is so many different things can come out of left field. So while you have to have your business processes in order to grow, you also need to be able to change them to adapt to a changing environment. Um, and so they can't be mm. rigid as like an AT&T who's in, you know, uh, a very all 52 states and is established and yeah. right. Yeah, that's different. Um, you know, you can put things in place and they'll probably still be in place 10 years from now, whereas in the cannabis industry, things are changing so quickly. I think you have to constantly be reevaluating what the what those processes look like. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying I'm, I'm glad I'm not, you know, a cannabis operator, but man, you can spend a lot of time. These things take a lot of time and energy. Yep. And then six months later, it do, it's not relevant or the rules have changed or you've grown by 30% and now it really doesn't work because you created a process for 20 people and now you have 60 people or vice versa. You had 60 and now have 20. It's got to be frustrating. 
Yeah, and, and that's the biggest danger in in building out any kind of business process is, you know, it's not um, the right time, the right place. But if you build out process, it will help you scale. And it, by as long as you scale, you, right? And it should help you scale back if you need right. to. Because right. Because really, when you put a process in place and there's a mistake or something's gone wrong, you can point to one of two things: either there's a problem with your process or someone screwed up. Right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that black and white. So yeah. either Dave, you screwed up. Yeah, I was going to say, I've been there. And typically <laughs> that's what it is. And then I say, no, it's the process. Oh my God, right. it's process. So yeah, let's yeah, uh, evaluate our process. So yeah, speaking of screwing up, let's talk about, uh, yeah, Matthews. Um, great name. Have they, great names and have they made a smart decision? These are very skilled individuals. Uh, last week, we did a show about can the non-connoisseur, even the connoisseur, really tell the difference between different types of weed, different types of products? Is this something that people will care about? Or do they just want to get really high and they don't care about the chocolates? Is there a market for this? Because well, I, I love the idea. Don't get me wrong. I love it. Like who doesn't love Michelin skilled chefs right. creating chocolate ed cannabis edibles? Sounds great. Well, here, here's the re the reality is is that how many people have ever been to a Michelin star restaurant that love food? Not everyone. Sure. But people that really like food will go out of their way to go to a Michelin star uh, restaurant, and I don't think that this is really any different. You know, it's like a uh, standard distribution curve for most most companies. Most people will fall in the middle. They'll consume kind of middle of the road products um, that fit into what their desired outcome is. And then you're always going to have outliers. You know, people like you and me, Dave, who who you know, for those of you that don't know, Dave goes out of his way to get a really good cup of coffee. Well, three or four, but keep coffee going. <laughs> and there are going to be millions of Daves when it comes to, um, you know, edibles, 100%. So I think it's definitely not going to be mass market, but they, I don't think they want it to be. Nor it doesn't either. sound like it. And they might be in the right place for it. I mean, you know, LA. I mean, there's, there's yeah. going to be people with money who want something really good. Yeah. And, you know, I think... I view, you know, I've, we've all been to, you know, kind of wine tasting parties and, and things like that. And, you know, it's, it's, I don't think it's going to be much different than that. People are going to want an experience. If you want to go get cannabis, get high, whatever you want to do, it's there. You can go get it. I think what they're selling is something different, an experience that, you know, people aren't necessarily going to be get be able to get anywhere else, and they'll be able to get it through their products. Definitely, that's definitely a story I want to follow. I'd like to yeah. see what what this kind of thing because they're bringing an excellence you don't see every day. A more beautiful product, I can't say I've seen. No, um, but what remains to be seen is it wouldn't be you know excellence. A pro an excellent product isn't always a successful one, um, and ultimately we'll see if it's compelling to the market. So I want to uh, thank you uh, to all our guests, of course, the, to Jessica Craney from Green Ohio and the two Matthews from Weed, uh, that's O-U-I apostrophe D, the French, Weed Confections. 
Thanks, of course, uh, to Matt Cook uh, for joining us here and giving his insults. In insults, insights. <laughs> there was one insult there uh, yeah, somewhere. I felt it. It was about that whole, yeah, screw up thing. I, so I'm, I'm, I'm so sensitive to it. Um, thank you to our sponsor, Cash Tech Currency Products. For all your cash uh, management needs, go to uh, Cash Tech uh, Currency Products. Check out uh, their site. Um, until next week, uh, stay well. And uh, we will be back with more of the business of cannabis.